Amen. Thank you, Graham. Welcome back, brother. Uh, thank you for gathering together with us this morning to worship the Lord and to consider his words to us this morning. If you had a Bible, let's look at Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 this morning. I want to read uh, our section of scripture that we'll be looking at together this morning for us, that we might have it in the back of our minds as we uh, draw it up to the front of our minds of our consideration this morning. So Romans chapter 6, I'm start reading in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are, no, are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed." And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage." Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit." not in the old way of the written code. Would you pray with me once more? Father, having heard your word 
this morning for us. I, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes to see more clearly, open our uh, hearts to believe these things to be true. Uh, God, open our minds to think uh, intelligently about what has happened to those of us who have believed in Christ and been saved by grace through faith. God, I pray that you might transfer some from, as you describe, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light this morning. That you would break the binding that slavery of sin has on some in order that they might be slaves of God in leaving this place. And so, God, do a mighty work, a work that can truly only be done by you this morning. Uh, the work of your Spirit as we hear the Word of Christ this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the first part of chapter 6. We're looking at the second part of chapter 6 this morning and the beginning part of chapter 7 that gives us a, a picture of what he's trying to explain to us in uh, the end of chapter 6. And if the beginning part of chapter 6, we titled our sermon, Dead to Sin and Alive to God, this week, in like manner, I want you to uh, write this title at the top of your notes page, that we are set free from sin and bound to God. The first truth that Paul had for us in chapter 6 is that we were dead to sin by faith in Jesus Christ, and that we were made alive to God. This week, he, he goes another step of explanation, uh, another um, step in the journey towards understanding what it means to be justified by faith, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but that we've been set free from sin, and, and we are now slaves to God or bound to God. And I think these passages bring up some of the most heartfelt and thought-provoking questions that we all have in our hearts every now and then, whether it's every year or so, every month or so, every week, every day, every hour or so, we uh, consider a question much like is being asked right now. That since we've been saved by grace through faith, um, then are we allowed to sin because we're not under the law anymore? How serious is sin if we're saved by grace? If Jesus really paid it all, why is our sin such a big deal? Can we continue in it? Is just this one little aspect of sin okay in our lives? Can I do this? Or we might feel the weight of the law or the weight of the rules. I know, kids, that your moms and dads have rules in your house, and sometimes they feel like a burden, don't they? You could say, it's okay. They can't get in upset with you in front of their pastor. Like, and even when they get home, I got your back on this. I've got 24 family ways printed on a giant canvas overlooking our kitchen table. So whenever we sit around the kitchen table, uh, we are reminded and talk uh, now regularly in the mornings 
about those family ways, those rules. And sometimes those rules we recognize, yeah, they lead to life because, yeah, I don't want my brother stealing my toys. So we should be generous and share with what we have, brother. You know, that feels uh, life-giving. But at other times, it feels burdensome. 24, Dad? Seriously, 24. Could we have gone with 12? I mean, you like the Aggies, right? 12th, like we should go with 12. Something like that. But they can feel burdensome. Or if it's not even kids towards their parents and the rules that you feel in your home, it's um, adults maybe feeling the, the burden of the rules at your job, the rules in our city and nation, the, uh, maybe even the laws of God. We're feeling certain burden, like, why can't I do this? What's the big deal? I mean, it wouldn't be that bad if I did this or that or that kind of thing. We feel that burden, and we want to escape that burden. We want to get free from that burden, and we're not anything new. I mean, this has been happening since the beginning of time. One thou shalt not in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. One. You have everything that you want to eat. Just don't eat that one. Oh, the burden Thou can't not have us the tree that I want to eat of. And, and so they ate. They ate and fell themselves out of perfect relationship. This has been happening since the creation of time. It was happening in Jesus' day. He told one of my favorite parables regarding this pressure that we feel from the law, this burden that we feel from the law that, that we are bound to. And, that, and that's in Luke chapter 15. It's the parable, uh, of course, of um, several lost things, a lost coin, a lost sheep. But he ends up telling a story about a lost son. And I think this son feels something that my sons have probably felt and your sons and daughters have probably felt. And if you're honest, you have probably felt wanting to unburden yourself from the, the laws of your family, the laws of the world, or the laws of God, and wanting to get out from under those, thinking, if I can just get out from the law, I'll be free. I can do what I want, and I'll enjoy life. And it'll be everything that I always wanted it to be. If only I could get out from these rules. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country to be out from under his father's rules, to be able to get free from that burden to no longer be a slave to his father and his rules any longer, to be able to go and enjoy life as he wanted to. And he went out, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him 
anything. A lot of good the freedom did. And, and, and this is where we find ourselves, being on one side of feeling that we are uh, legalists trying to obey the law perfectly to be able to earn our salvation, and yet we feel the burden of the rules. I can't do it. I can't do it enough. It's too hard. It's just so heavy upon us. To the far other side of that, thinking, if I could just get free of these rules, I could go and live however I want to, and I would be happy, go lucky, and, and enjoy my life, only to find out that there's a whole nother set of rules that the world puts upon you, and, and that you'll run out of all the joy and the happiness that comes so quickly from living outside of the rules. And yet, and that those don't bring you salvation either, living under your own rules. But there is a place in the middle, not thinking that the rules earn, obeying the rules earn us our salvation, and not thinking that we have a freedom outside of the rules, but realizing that we have been saved despite not following the rules by one who has perfectly obeyed the rules, who offers us a freedom better than anything we could find out there. So it's the difference between being a legalist and being um, someone who falls into liberalism, being right there in the middle and having an understanding of gospel liberty, gospel freedom that we ought to be having. And Paul describes it well in, in Romans chapter 6, and then he illustrates it well for us in in chapter 7. So look, look there again. When we want to have that, that one road, that single solitary path that leads to Christ and to righteousness, how, how do we get onto that, that road? How do we get onto that path? He asks a similar question that he asked back in chapter 6, verse 1 What then? Or in 6 1, what shall we say then? He's arguing in a very similar manner. Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Just like the question of 6.1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers the same way as he did in verse 2. By no means. By no means. And he starts explaining this with a, a question. Do you not know? Again, just like he did in chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know? Explaining, obviously this is clear that he's explaining just a, another level of what it means to be justified by faith. What it means to be justified by faith. This is what he's been building up to in the book of Romans. Uh, especially starting in chapter 3, verse 21, all the way up through uh, verse 5. And then explaining what that then means. Answering these questions that, that we all probably ask in our minds. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, Paul says. And then he asks this question. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, 
Honestly, Paul brings up a hard idea, this idea of slavery. And he brings up and uses this word, though, intentionally. And it's helpful for us to get at the root of why Paul is using this. And it might be easy for us um, uh, to take our 21st century American view of slavery and look through those lenses to this text and try to interpret it in that way. But, but that wouldn't be helpful to us. We need to step back and recognize what was happening in the Roman Empire um, to be able to understand slavery then so that we might better be, be able to understand the point that Paul was making, having traveled through the cross, and then to be able to apply that to our lives today. That's not to say that Roman, the Roman Empire didn't have slavery like we as Americans at least remember from our history class. Um, that type of slavery, forced slavery um, upon people who did not desire it, even being brought from their homes to new places to live. Uh, that most definitely was happening happened in American history, most definitely was happening in the Roman Empire, as has happened in every culture, in every millennia, in every century around the world. But Paul uses a word here that, that uh, shows us that he's not speaking about that forced slavery um, that comes upon us. When he says, present, you present yourselves as slaves. Did you see that? Look back in, in, in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Paul is, is bringing up the idea that in the Roman Empire, as in other times and places and history, there was volunteer indentured servitude. Um, this is the word in Greek that we would translate doulos into bondservant. Uh, one who um, maybe has been given their freedom back, but chooses to go and bind themselves as a servant to their former master to be able to enjoy the, uh, the care and protection and provision of that master in, in that season. It, it's a presenting themselves. I, I think a couple uh, quotes might help us to be able to understand this. Uh, John Stott qu quotes Zeisler describing slavery in the Roman Empire and said people in dire poverty could offer themselves as slaves to someone simply in order to be fed and housed. Uh, or the ESV study Bible. If you've got a study, study Bible and spent, um, spent hours reading the preface to your study Bible, may, maybe you didn't, but if you did, you would find this quote in there. In New Testament times, a Greek doulos is often best described as a bondservant, that is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years. 
except for those in Caesar's household in Rome who were contracted for 14 years. And when the contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved by the master and officially declared a freedman. And so there was this idea of being able to present yourselves as a servant to a master. And, and we all do this. Paul says that we all do this. You are a slave to the one whom you obey. You are a slave to the person that you choose to be your master. Whether it's your boss at work, you are the one who has chosen to make yourselves an employee of that company with those rules under that boss with that way of doing things. And in one sense, you're a bondservant to them until you des- desire to resign or are fired um, one way or the other. But for a season, obeying them, they're, they're your master. And Paul says the, that this is true. In his day and age, they knew that to be true. They understood this idea of servitude to a master, slavery towards uh, a master. And, and then he then likens it, though, to our spiritual life. Not just the physical life in the Roman Empire, but our spiritual life. Um, that at one point in our lives, we had presented ourselves as obedient slaves to sin, which leads to death. That we were born in our sins and trespasses, and therefore we were obedient to our sin, sinful nature, and therefore that would in the end lead to death. This is where we all were in that. But, but Paul says you can either do that or you can present yourselves as obedient slaves of obedience, a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He says, do you not know? They should have known this. He knows that they know it, but he wants them to know it. He knows that they have a head knowledge of this in their own culture, that they have a head knowledge of this even spiritually, but have yet to have a heart knowledge of this uh, in their own lives by faith. And then he starts in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God. You can see him erupting with a, uh, a thankfulness, a praise to the Lord that, that they're no longer slaves to sin, which leads to death, but they have become slaves uh, to the Lord. But thanks be to God, in verse 17, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He says, praise the Lord. Thanks be to God. This would be helpful for us, this thanksgiving. With thinking about all that we have to be thankful for this year, this month, this week, in this lifetime, we have this above all things to be thankful for. You ought to read this scripture at your uh, Thanksgiving dinner this week. And, and those who weren't here will probably think, what's happening here? 
But you then go and be able to explain. There is nothing that we have to be more thankful to the Lord than this. That we who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Notice it's from the heart. It's slavery, it's obedience, a slavery to obedience that that comes out of the overflow of the heart. Not a forced burden like I was describing over here on this side earlier on. A pressure, a legalist, a trying to earn something, uh, an earning of salvation. It is a newness of heart that we are thankful for. It, It is a new creation that we have been made, that we now have an obedience to, from the heart, a slavery to righteousness that we are thankful for. And he says that we're obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. I think that standard of teaching is not only the Old Testament that includes the, the law, But it goes even beyond that to include the the standard of teaching of Christ, Christ Jesus, that we read in the Gospels. And the standard of teaching that the first century church would have been familiar with, which was the teaching of the apostles. Uh, These believers in Rome have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that was available to them then. The Old Testament the gospel, uh, the gospels of, of Jesus Christ, and, and these New Testament teachings that would be eventually bound together in what we have as the entire Bible, the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. They were given new hearts when they died, uh, when they were justified by faith, and they died with Christ on the cross and were raised to walk in the newness of life, they were given a new heart. And they became obedient, not by forced pressure, not by forced slavery, but out of the abundance of the heart, their mouth spoke. Out of the abundance of their heart, their hands did. Out of the abundance of their heart, their feet went. They were, they had willingly, not forced Not forcefully, they had willfully made themselves slaves to God because they knew it was better than being a slave to sin, which leads to death. It was better than being a slave to the world, which also led to death. That being a slave to God, they found great freedom and found actual joy in obeying the rules. Isn't this where parents, you want your kids to get to? To be able to know the joy that comes from the Lord in obeying Him, in following Him? Don't you know, parents, that no forced pressure upon your little children gives them that joy? But only through prayer and consistent uh, hearing the gospel can the Lord do a work in their heart that just is unexplainable for them to want to obey and feel sorry for disobeying. Christian, don't you know this to be true? Don't you remember hating the rules 
thinking how ridiculous they were, and then realizing how holy our God is and how unholy we are and how desperate we were for a Savior. And when we bowed our knee to the Savior, he made us alive again in Christ, being dead in our sins and trespasses. And now we can't help but want to find more ways to obey, more ways to honor, more ways to glorify him. We can't help but wanting to get more sin out of our life and more sin out of our life. This is what happened to them. This is what happened to those of us who have been saved by Christ and been justified by faith. Having been justified by faith, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to God. Jesus said that we would either be slaves of one or the other. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If we are continuing in sin, even enjoying sin, we're proving that we are slaves to sin, which leads to death. Jesus would say in another place, this time in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, or no one can be a slave to two masters. Think about it logically, having two people telling you what to do. It just doesn't work. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus brings up one master or two different masters, and one, one specifically, you cannot serve God and money. And here money was the, the master. Here, though, Paul is making this out to be, making sin to be the master. And, and he says here, um, having been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness, in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Praise God. I am so thankful that Paul brings himself down to my level to be able to speak in natural human terms uh, with my abundantly natural limitations. Uh, we need examples like this. And I think one thing that Paul is saying in there is that slavery is a hard thing to to get our mind around, not every aspect of slavery ought to be applied to this understanding. Just that one aspect of being bound. And that's why I think Paul gives this kind of clarifier here, saying, I'm speaking um, using human terms because of your natural limitation. I'm trying to find a picture that would explain to you and illustrate to you what I'm trying to say here. Not everything about slavery applies to this situation, but the binding does, Paul says. You're either bound to sin and death, or you're bound to God and life. You're either bound to sinful disobedience, or you're bound to obedience and righteousness. It's one or the other. You can't have both. And so, Paul goes on, using that word, of those who have presented themselves as obedient slaves, he now uses that word to command. 
In the second half of verse 19, he says, uh, in, take, in, in your note-taking, so present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Let me say it again. So present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. In the second half of verse 19, he explains, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness. You see the, the journey, the path, if you will, um, that we sinned against the law, and it led to lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness, which led to sinfulness, disobedience, lawlessness never leads to the right path. It never leads to godliness. Uh, it's unrestricted, and it continues going in that way. He says, that's what you once did, and I would say that's what we all did. We all presented our members, our lives, uh, to impurity, slaves of impurity, sin, lawlessness. But he says, so now present, he commands. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Remember we said that this, uh, this truth that's coming from chapter 6 is that having been justified by faith, we are no longer slaves to sin but slaves to God. We have been justified once and for all, declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven by God our judge, by faith, by grace, in Christ alone. Um, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to God. So, having been justified, we ought to now present our members as slaves to righteousness, which leads then to sanctification. So, if you've been justified by faith, you also ought to be sanctified by the one whom has justified you in the way in which he has set apart. And he uses that word present. He commands that word present. Present yourselves now, once and for all. Lay everything down at the foot of the throne of King Jesus. Earlier in chapter 6, last week when we were looking at it, he used that word multiple times. He says, let not, in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign. And you can imagine the throne uh, and having sin on the throne. And he says, stop letting sin sit in God's seat on the throne. Do not stop presenting your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And instead, present yourselves to God. Well, here he says again, in light of what we've just seen about no longer being bound to sin, but being bound to God, that we ought to present ourselves as such. Present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Again, let me say, Paul's not saying that every aspect of slavery ought to then be applied, as if this were a forced slavery that God puts upon us. But no, a willing, binding, 
we to God and Christ as our master, we then present ourselves, our members to him. Probably one of the most famous verses in all of Romans chapter 12, specifically in verse 1, uses this, this same word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This idea of presenting, whether it be to a king on the throne or whether it be uh, as a slave to a master or rather rather it be uh, as a worshiper onto an altar, Paul is going to use this language throughout the book of Romans to try to get the idea across that our lives are not our own. We were bought with uh, for a price by the very blood and body of Christ Jesus on the cross. And we ought to then present ourselves to him as our uh, king, as our master, as the one who alone deserves our worship. And so we can have that picture in the back of our mind. Any one of those three, though Paul is choosing here to use the idea of master and slave. And he goes on in saying in verse 20, And we can just let this sit for a little bit. For when you were slaves of sin, think back, Christian, uh, to before uh, the moment you knew in your heart that God transformed you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That when you were slaves of sin, or uh, maybe some of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're still there. It's, no, it's not a when you were, it's a I, I'm still there. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were not bound to righteousness like a slave is to a master. But he asked the question, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What good was it? When you took all that, like the lost son, took all that the father had and went out and squandered it, what fruit came from that? What good came from that? Christian, what good came from any of the sin that you sinned against the Lord in your former life? Isn't there only shame and conviction Um, We ought not to let that be um, wrongful shame from Satan, but Holy Spirit conviction um, that the Lord puts on our heart that we would repent, uh, believe again, and obey him. But, I mean, I I can think back. uh, I can think back this week when I've allowed myself to go back under the master of sin and death and feel shame, feel conviction for sin. What, what good was it from that? Obviously, the answer is no good. Nothing, no, no good fruit came from that, only bad fruit. But then in verse 22, but now, but now that you have been set free from sin 
And you can imagine the picture there of chains being broken that bound us to our sin and death as our master, as slaves of, of that master. We've been set free. The chains have been cut. The locks have been undone from sin. And we have become sla- slaves of God. We've willfully chained ourselves to the Lord, bound ourselves to the Lord. He says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, listen, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, leads to holiness, leads to righteousness, leads to Christ-likeness. It leads to the one whom you are bound to. Isn't that beautiful? Sanctification and its end, eternal life. Having willfully um, desired to bind ourselves to the Lord and becoming now slaves of righteousness, we're becoming more and more like the one whom we've bound ourselves to. And we're becoming sanctified, holy, and righteous. And in the end, we get eternal life with him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. And then he sums it up with another one of Romans most famous verses. For the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for your sin is death. The direct deposit into your account of life for your sin is death. But, not wage, not paycheck, not direct deposit, but the free gift the best birthday Christmas present ever that came from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he doesn't give us what we deserve even like a master of an indentured servant would give his servant what they deserve. He gives us something far beyond what we deserve that it can only be described as a gift. It can only be described as a gift in that. Not anything that we earned, not anything that we deserved. And if that's the truth, then why would we not, here again this morning, present our members as slaves to righteousness, throwing out the wrongful idea of slavery and mastership that we may have in the back of our minds, but a willful, voluntary, having been set free from the slavery of sin and death, willfully made ourselves slaves of God, slaves of Christ, slaves then of obedience and of righteousness that make us as slaves look more like the master. This is what we have the opportunity to do. And and Paul, just in case we didn't get it, he gives us an illustration that helps give us a picture of uh, what this might look like. If the picture of slavery wasn't enough, maybe the picture of marriage will help. And no, I'm not saying that marriage is anything like slavery. In, In fact, the exact opposite of that. But look how he uses marriage to illustrate uh, our binding to God to bear fruit for God. 
Again, he asks the question in chapter 7, Or do you not know, brothers? Or do you not know? You should know. I know you know these things, but you don't know these things. You have a head knowledge, but you don't have a heart knowledge of these things. For I am speaking to those who know the law, in a sense saying, I'm speaking to those of a Jewish mindset who know the law well. And he says that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Are dead people who are buried in a tomb bound by the law to obey it any longer? Of course not. They can't obey it any longer. They can't do any of the do's or any of the do-nots any longer. They're free. He uses marriage to illustrate something similar. For a married woman is bound. That's the word that connects slavery and master uh, with this illustration here. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. And the opposite would be true, that a man is bound by law uh, to his wife while he lives uh, or while she lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Why? Why would she be called an adulteress uh, if she uh, marry, lives with another man while she's married to another? Because she was bound to the one in the covenant of marriage. Again, Paul is highlighting his high view of marriage even in this passage, even though this passage is not specifically defining marriage for us. He's showing how high of a view of marriage that he has it. Even defining it to be between a man and a woman and to be for a lifetime, not to be dissolved. And really, the Bible only gives three reasons that a marriage ought to be dissolved. One, for sexual immorality. Another, for all-out abandonment. And death. And Paul picks up this third one here in this passage and says, this is, this is the only way that a wife or a husband um, are no longer bound to their spouse. He says in the latter half of verse 3, But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Obviously, if one spouse dies, the other spouse is no longer bound. This is why we say in a marriage ceremony, till death do us part, right? That we believe in God's view and in, according to the Bible in Christian marriage that it is um, to be for a lifetime uh, and that only death should do us part. And so if that's true in marriage, Paul then uses that illustration to apply to our binding to the Lord. He says in verse 4, likewise, and I would again say, Likewise, in this one area, just like slavery was an illustration to show one thing, 
being bound to another, to a master. This illustration of marriage is, is given by Paul to illustrate just one thing. It does, we ought not to press it further. We just want to see this one thing, that there is a binding. There is a binding happening for those who are in Christ. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Essentially, Paul is saying, just like you were uh, slaves to sin and death, here he's saying you were married to sin and death. You were bound in a lifelong, eternal life, really eternal death relationship with sin. Sin was your spouse. When we begin to like play this out, sin was your spouse. You, but yet you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. And you, if you and the law were married together, Paul is saying that you died. You died and that freed you from your binding to the law and enabled you to be bound to another, specifically to one who died for you. And so how did we die? We talked about this last week in the earlier part of chapter 6 that by faith, in Jesus Christ who died for us and was buried in the tomb and was raised to walk in, uh, in his newness of life, in the resurrected life, we too, by grace through faith, having put our trust in Jesus, died with him, were buried with him, and were raised to walk in the newness of life, and will also enjoy a resurrected life in the eternal life to come. And all of that was pictured in our baptism. That's what Paul was saying last week. And so now, adding another layer to that, he's saying, when by faith you died with Christ, you were no longer bound in marriage to the law. And you were free to bind yourself in a marriage-like relationship to Christ. And isn't that the picture that we then have in the New Testament for all of those who have died to sin, are the bride of Christ. We are bound to him. We are no longer bound to sin. Uh, and all of this, so that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, in our old ways, when we were slaves to sin, when we were dead in our sin, when we were married to sin, when we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. We know that to be true. But now, but now, again, saying that like he said in verse, chapter 6, verse 22, but now, just like we sang just a little bit ago uh, in, from Ephesians chapter 2, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve 
in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We're now free. We're now free to willingly bind ourselves to God in Christ Jesus, to serve in a new way, not in this forced, legalist, law-abiding, but in, and, and not in this freedom to go do whatever we want on this side, but we are free to bind ourselves to the Lord. We are free to bind ourselves to Him who will make us more like Himself so that we'll be able to bear fruit for God, not fruit for death. That we'll be able to bear fruit according to the Spirit and you might have in the, the back of your mind the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have died in the flesh with its passions, and desires. This is, this is what we have through faith alone in Jesus Christ. The opportunity to be unbound from sin as our master and to be bound to Christ and to look more and more like Christ. To no longer be married to sin, but to be married to Christ with one another in the church to bear fruit for God. We have this as our opportunity. It makes me go back then to Luke chapter 15. In thinking about that story that some of you know well, that, that son, uh, that younger son who was tired of being under all of the rules and regulations of his father and thought, if I could just get out from here and go live life the way that I want it, I'll be able to enjoy freedom and liberty and enjoy happiness and all of this. And he went out and did it and found that there was a whole other set of rules out there and realized that it led to death just as much as obeying these rules led to death in his father's house. And so in Luke chapter 15 and verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, when his eyes were opened, when he looked around, when he realized the depravity in his heart, when he realized how dead he was if left to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here, I die here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. He who realized how dead he was in his sins and trespasses if he was willing when he came to his senses to say, Father, just make me a servant of yours. I just want to bind myself to be a servant of yours. The father went above and beyond that and said, you're not my servant. You're my son. And he killed the fattened calf. He brought the robe that should only be worn by a son. That's what it looks like to present your members to the Lord realizing that we're not just servants. We're actually bound as sons and daughters in Christ. But lest the other side be true, the story continues of the older son who was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And again, who came out? His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We don't know what this man did. Being on this side, the rule follower, thinking if I obey all of these rules, I deserve this. I get this. Did he ever come to the realization that the rules and the law are only burdens to show that we need a Savior and to turn to the Father to be a true son? You see, we can fall on both sides of the road. We can either be the legalist and think that rules are going to earn our salvation. Or we can be the liberalist and thinking, I don't need all the rules. God will have to save me anyways. I'm under grace through faith. Or we can be on God's path. Uh, one that is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And we can willingly bind ourselves to him. Jesus urges us to do that very thing. And he says, enter in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Would you pray? Father, I ask that you would help us, like the younger brother, come to ourselves this morning. 
come to our senses this morning. If we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, would we stop presenting our members back to our old master of sin, which leads to death, knowing that it only brings shame and conviction? Let us then, having been justified by faith and bound ourselves to a new master, been married to a uh, new spouse in Christ, become slaves of righteousness, slaves of obedience, being willing to walk the narrow, hard road, entering through the narrow gate. God, I pray that you would help us to present our members to you as our master, as our king, as the only one who deserves our worship so that we might bear fruit for God and look more and more like Christ. God, help us in that work as you promised to do by your spirit that we would not strive in our own efforts, but we would Come up under the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to do such things. And God, I pray for the person who knows recently what it is to be slave to sin. And God, I pray that you have helped them come to themselves this morning having been blinded by the world and our own thoughts and beliefs for so long, that the Word has peeled away the blinders, that your Spirit has given them new sight to see themselves as they are in need of a Savior. And having been slave to sin, they this morning would pre present themselves once and for all to you as a slave to God. Not forced, but willingly, repenting of their sins, believing in Jesus Christ, and standing back up in faith that leads to obedience, that according to this scripture leads to righteousness, that leads to Christ-likeness, that leads to eternal life rather than eternal death. So God, do a mighty work. Let there be many younger sons from Luke 15 who came to their senses and ran to the Father only to find that the Father was run, already running towards us. Not to make us servants, but to make us sons and daughters. May we worship you as sons and daughters this morning, having been transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of light with you as our master. We worship and praise in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing a song of praise and thanks for this. We should be.